Julian Pensavale. Patrick Heinz. You guys, a couple of announcements about just what's going on with me and you. Okay. And True Crime Obsessed Podcast. Oh, okay. Excellent. <laughs> Girl, did we announce a tour last week? You know, I think we I think we did. You guys, we're doing a tour. We're calling it the Don't Be Garbage Tour. Well, I feel like that's always going to be the name of our tour. I totally agree. <laughs> Don't Be Garbage Volume 1. Right. Our tour, do tours have volumes? I don't know. I love that. Yeah. You guys, we are going to be, you know, we've got those two sold out shows in New York in October. Mm-hmm. We're going to be in Chicago in April. We're going to be in New Orleans in June. We have a big pride show that we rented a theater out for in New York City in yeah. June as well. We're going to be everywhere. We're going to be at PodX, CrimeCon, BroadwayCon. What? I'm just so excited to get out and hang out with everybody. Um, You guys, while you're on the website checking all that stuff out, we have another new feature on the website. It's our promo codes page. Right. So if you have like heard our ads and you can't remember what the promo code is, it's probably TCO. <laughs> it's more than more often than not. Just but TCO. you never know. And True. you know, our promo codes page will link you directly to the site where you need to go to order and purchase. Just go to our truecrimeobsessed.com, click on our promo codes page. Yeah. And just check it out. Yeah. Um, one more thing, you guys. Patreon, again, is crazy. Yeah. We're wrapping up our staircase coverage. Yep. We have our interview with Diane Fanning, who wrote the book called uh, Written in Blood, which is like the <laughs> Michael Probably Did It version. I mean... I, so we did this interview with Diane Fanning last week, and I keep saying it was really fun and kind of intense and definitely mm-hmm. a little bit bonkers. Mm-hmm. A little bit out... Parts of it were a little out there. Uh-huh. She has a very specific theory about what she thinks happened to Kathleen Peterson. Like the most specific specific theory like yeah. why is she not on reddit like i, I don't know. understand <laughs> that is up on our patreon feed right now um at the very end of this episode after the palate cleanser we're gonna p- play a little clip of that interview with diane fanning mm-hmm. um coming up you guys we- we've booked a bunch of directors of movies we've covered on on this feed um we just booked the, the director keith maitland of tower yes uh so that's coming up um we you know we're talking to the jesus camp people there's a lot of stuff in the works yeah and then the jinx and then making a murderer yeah nice. so it's time to get excited about our Patreon if you're not already a subscriber. Yeah, I mean, we're do- we're doing it. So if you want to get in there, get the content, and support us, show the yeah. love, go to truecrimeobsessed.com and check out the Patreon link, or go to patreon.com slash truecrimeobsessed. Yeah, and we'll show you the love right back by giving you endless, endless content. <laughs> Okay, girl. Girl, you know. What are we uh, talking about today? The Galapagos affair. Satan came to Eden. <laughs> Take a seat. <laughs> it starts at 100. That's a that's a quite a subtitle. I resent the title of this. <laughs> I resent the length of it. You guys, I got I I didn't love this movie. No. I didn't love it. And it's really too long and It's 2 hours. Yeah. It there's a whole bunch of stuff I feel that we kind of agree that was just like they needed to just focus on the murder mystery part? Yeah, like, and the mind-reading tortoises. <laughs> I mean, and I'm not kidding. No, I know. I need, I need I know. a whole documentary on them and close-up zooms on their faces. Like, 100%. For the rest of my life, I'm obsessed with them. Wherever you go, wherever you go, you bring yourself. Dora and I are turning our backs on civilization. We have set our hopes on the Galapagos. Why would people leave civilized world come out to a rock? Neither of us could have imagined the strange and sinister drama that would be unleashed upon us all. Floriana is just one mystery on top of another. 
our letters home to Germany have been leaked. Friedrich and I have been made to look like a pair of eccentrics escaped from some psychological zoo. While reading his words, I realized that the Galapagos is our solution. If the Ritters could do it, so could we. I am highly resentful. We shall resist the establishment of any community. There is now a baroness with several husbands and a machine gun. I've come to establish a grand hotel. After all, woman is capable of everything. I think she might have dreams of being a feudal queen. I am disgusted by her theatricals. We are appalled. We consider them intruders. It was a war. All at once, a long shriek gashed the silence. Everyone seems to have disappeared without a trace. I nearly screamed at the sight before my eyes. I curse you with my dying breath. There are people in this world that just beg to get killed. Bang, bang. Life can make a poor end of fine and admirable beginnings. Girl, where do we even start? Well, okay, so here's the thing. We learn about this this whole situation that happened in the 30s. Yes. On one of the Galapagos Islands. And the Galapagos Islands are like an island cluster in the Pacific off the coast of Ecuador. Like, I think that's the closest country. Right. Yeah, so there are all these little islands. And... Uh, Two people went there because they hated everyone so much. Yeah. And then, like, word got out that they were there, and a couple of other people who hated everyone came together. So you had a bunch of people who hated being surrounded by people together <laughs> on an island 60 miles away from the closest inhabited island, it's right? It's Survivor without the hot nudity. Like, that's really what this is. Right. But what we do, we hear about this through these voiceovers, through letters, and diary entries. Oh, my God. And the actors are kind of amazing. It's Kate Blanchett. I, okay, I was yeah. I was gonna say, wait, guess who that was? Kate Blanchett. Yeah. And you know who the woman who played Margaret was? Diane Kruger. I love her. Really? Yeah, I'm Amazing. obsessed with Diane Kruger. Um, Kate Blanchett, really, like, she got herself a dialect coach. Oh, for She was in sure. it. Herculean is what she yeah. says at one point. Five years ago, we came to make an Eden on these shores. Kate. <laughs> Kate. So they divide this endless documentary into three parts. Right. So the first one is The Promised Land. So we meet this guy that you can't play his audio because he's speaking in Spanish. I mean, I can play it, but you guys, most of you will not understand that. Right. So what we just learned right out the gate that he's been studying the human history of the Galapagos Islands. He's a researcher and he wrote a book called The Curse of the Giant Tortoise. I was like, here <laughs> we go. And the legend of these tortoises, which are gigantic and actually hundreds of years old, they're super badass and they have these really expressive sort of human faces, but they're also prehistoric at the same time. They all kind of look like Estelle Getty, if you ask me. They're all like, who's this bitch? They're super <laughs> this bitching you. They're always suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> they don't trust people and I'm like girl same like, I know what? yeah 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 relate- the tortoises are our people I relate to these 600 year old <laughs> prehistoric tortoises in many ways um, but what we learn about the legend of these tortoises specifically is that quote they have the capacity to know what's in the minds of people who go there yeah and if you have like shitty intentions garbage intentions yeah they'll curse you I give me did- one of these tortoises <laughs> I love that these like the little thought bubble over these tortoises' head at all times is no bitch. No bitch. No bitch. Girl, please. Yeah. <laughs> 
get the fuck out of here with that bullshit. That's what the tortoises are saying. They are. They look so human and all-knowing. I, I can't get over it. And the filmmakers, the geniuses, they, this movie should have been a half an hour long. But yeah, yes. what they did do great is every time there was like a transition, it was just like a slow zoom on the tortoise. And I'm like, something has to happen. I know. Is this the time where something happens when you slow zoom on the tortoise? So then, so now it's like cut to Berlin in 1929. Yes. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. So we meet Friedrich Ritter, Frederick Ritter. I'm calling him Fred. Yeah, great. Uh, and he hates organized society. It's a personal monster. He just wants to bail and live a life of leisure on the islands. My decision to leave behind my lucrative practice of medicine and go into solitude is not a rash inspiration. For 20 years, the idea has been maturing in my mind. Now... At the age of 43, my time has come. She's a doctor. Uh-huh. And I think he's kind of gorgeous. You know what? You know how I love old footage, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. This yeah. film also, yeah. I was like, how is there so much footage from 1932? You guys, to the point that I texted Jillian, mm-hmm. is this fake old footage? Are they reenacting it? And no. she was like, no, 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 this is really real old yeah. footage. It's it's really mind-blowing to watch. Yeah. I didn't need to watch it for two hours. Yeah. Um, but it's really incredible. Just to paint a picture, this guy's got this like thick, gorgeous, curly hair that just gets like thicker and curlier and wilder the longer they're on the island. Like these blue eyes and he's basically wearing a loincloth the whole time. This movie has its upsides. <laughs> <laughs> so he meets Dora. The German woman has been content to model herself through the ages as the housefrau. Her horizon bounded by the four walls of a few stuffy rooms. The emptiness and frustration of such an existence poisons the spirit. So Dora and Fred are together and they believe the same things about how they're like trapped in society. Hold up a second. They're actually not together. Well, they become together after they leave their, their spouses. spouses. You guys, we learn about th- this. these two people in like the first 15 minutes. We think they're just a couple that's moving to the Galapagos. Right. No, 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 no. He was her doctor. We'll get into that in a second because uh, I think he's totally garbage. Yeah. They're just like, they leave their spouses and they move to the Galapagos. Because they both have the same view of how awful society is, which really he put on her. Let's One just be fair. million percent. And it's immediately Kate Blanchett's like, you know, my teacher, my guide. Yeah. And it's very like, oh, we have another cult follower <laughs> yes, situation from the beginning. Percent. Excellent. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. he basically drags her kicking and screaming kind yes. of to the fucking Galapagos yeah. Islands. I know. On July 4th, 1929, Friedrich and I sailed from Amsterdam, and we rejoiced as the world disappeared behind us. A four-week journey across the open seas brought us to Guayaquil, Ecuador. They, they have this really cool map. I'm not joking. When they said that they were going to the Galapagos and I realized where the Galapagos was, I, as the dot on the on the animation of the map was happening, yeah. I was like, oh God, please let the Panama Canal exist at this point. Please let the Panama Canal exist at this point. <laughs> and there's this little tiny animation of them going through the Panama Canal. I was like, whew, that yeah. would have been a long journey around the southern tip of South America. Yeah, that is like a geography, historical, political joke. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. You guys, I'm not just beautiful and thin. I know you do know things, they, John they, Snow. Thank you. So, but I do not know when the Panama Canal was was built. Clearly, yeah, no, just that it's there. So they like after four weeks they make it to Ecuador, where we were forced to spend the entire month of August waiting for the only schooner that sailed between the mainland and Galapagos. Waiting for the only <laughs> schooner that would bring us to the islands. <laughs> so then they had to like sit on in Ecuador for a month, which I'm sure was fine. Sounds amazing, right? Like. 
That's the vacation. Exactly. You guys did this all wrong. Totally. Yeah. So then they specifically chose the island that was the most isolated. It was not inhabited by anybody, and it was 60 miles away from anything else. So it's the it's the island of Floriana. I just have this image of Dory, Dora, whatever the hell her name is. Dora. Doormat standing Danielle. on the right, standing on like the the bow of the ship, like looking at the island with the people and just sort of being like, "Wait, no, we're not stopping here." Yeah. Oh my god, where are we? Where are you taking yeah. me? You know what my major problem with going to the Galapagos is? <laughs> All of the nature. Why is there so much goddamn nature? You know, I thought your biggest problem was going to be no people. There's no happy hour. <laughs> oh, and like there's oh, no. Listen, I would not be suited to going to an island where there is no other people, especially when someone who's mean to you is like, "You have to feel this way now." Okay, so here's the deal. They get to this island and they're they're surprised by how much work it is. First of all, the first thing they did was like recognize how gross it was. They're like, oh, this isn't beautiful. Right. The shore was a dead and thorny waste. But an hour's walk inland revealed to us a leafy sea of greenness. They had to march an hour inland to find like a habitable place. And then they're surprised that it takes that they can't just sit around and pray and meditate all day. And these are like a bunch of fucking weirdos. Right. Though our aim was to lead a life of contemplation, the ceaseless manual toil has dulled the edges of our spiritual life. Our Eden is no place of rest, as I had thought it would be. And these are Dora's words, so you know that she's like, oh. (laughs) I was not... I was told that it would be just like a a paradise. Yeah. And I'm like, girl, how did you th- how do you think that shit happens? Right. You need a crazy cult leader to make you do all the legwork. Exactly. Haven't you ever watched a documentary in your life, Dora? This is where this is where Kate Blanchett says his Herculean efforts. Friedrich's Herculean achievements rouse my ambition to do likewise. I just heard your voice mimicking it when she said it. Herculean. <laughs> Herculean efforts. And then she's saying how like I'm just a weak woman. I find that my efforts pale beside his. My weakness and infirmity frustrate me. And I was like, oh, like you just hate yourself because you're a woman. No, 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 girl. Mm. She has MS. When I first met Friedrich, I had been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and told my illness was incurable. But Friedrich was not like my other doctors. When he took over my care, he talked about the power of thought and told me that I need not submit to illness if I would learn to think in a way that would make me well. This guy is a doctor. He dragged a woman away from a, probably a loving husband who was t- attending her and taking care of her, uh-huh. dragged her to the middle of the jungle with MS, and then told her to just use her mind to get better. Just think positive, girl. I was in a rage over this. And it's like, even if you want her to think positive, can she not be like slashing the tall grass with machetes? Right. Can she be sitting and resting, perhaps? Yeah, 100%. I, I mean, she can She can barely move. I know. It's like MS in the 30s. Guys. You got. I this is not a good time to go to the Galapagos by yourself. With some psychopath. Right. <laughs> With great hair, though. I mean, fine. He's an asshole. Yeah, yeah. Who's also a narcissist. Yes. And a, uh, a self-hating, probably, and woman-hating piece of shit. And also, like, an eight and a half. Girl. <laughs> Ugly from within. I know, I know. So now we're like on Santa Cruz, which is another island. It's like close the fun by. island. It's like where the actual inhabitants live. Right. And it's we meet all these people who were born there. So we're meeting like some older people, some middle-aged people, and some people who are like, yeah, dude, I grew up on that crazy place over there. So this is modern. This is like modern day where we're meeting these people. Right. So we meet the Angermeyer brothers. Gus, Carl with a K, Fritz, and Hans. <laughs> hey, boys. Hitler was coming to power. And my grandfather, 
he wanted his boys out of Germany. He had read about the Galapagos Islands, so he sold his little farm, gave the boys the money, and they went over the border to Denmark, and they bought this boat and sailed away. There is a picture of the boys, like, at the beach, and they're all wearing loincloths, because apparently that's, like, the only kind of clothing you could get on the Galapagos like, in the 30s. And, like, the wettest, tidiest, yeah. wettest, tidy whities <laughs> It's ridiculous. Girl, I thought of you. <laughs> There are these, it looks like one of those old, like, 1930, like, like fitness photo, oh, like, oh, magazines. Oh, totally. One it's unbelievable percent. how fit they are. It's just, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Carl with a K is the biggest boner I've ever <laughs> seen in my life. This guy in this picture has the biggest boner. I texted Jillian. I was like, are we going to talk about the boner? And you were back, no. We're talking about the biggest boner ever. He's surrounded by his brother. I know. It's just weird to see a dude with a big boner with shirtless, surrounded by his shirtless brothers. Like, I'm not saying any, like, whatever. And it's not hot at all. It's not hot at all. So now cut to February 1931. Yes. We hear a lot from Dora, and it's all heartbreaking. (laughs) We've now been here a year and a half. Our Eden is no place of rest, as I had thought it would be. She's like, oh, turns out paradise is not restful or peaceful because she's doing all the heavy lifting with her MS. You have to hunt and gather and build your shelter every day. Like, what did you think was going to happen? I I don't understand what they thought. I don't understand. Well, you know what? He knew exactly. Well, the girl with the MS is going to do all the work. (laughs) Oh my God. Friedrich is seemingly eternally dissatisfied with everything I do. And at times the conflict between us bursts out into something horrible. So Fred is like a super control freak. He's always mad at her for something. Yeah. Like it's never good enough. She's not like using the machete well. She's not like making the food or gardening totally. or doing whatever. I want to see Dora as more than other frail and cowardly women. I cannot relax the sternness of her education. For us, there's only discipline. We must conquer by will. So she is so, this is another thing where it's like the idea of like, oh, I just can't deal with society is like all fun and games until you are starved for human interaction. 100%. And it it wasn't in her heart to be there. Right. So she's like bonding. This is like, this made me cry. Like she's bonding with the animals and she has this donkey or burro as Kate (laughs) Blanchett says. As solace, I turn to my burro, lavishing on him all the care and attention I have to give. I confess that I do spend a great deal of time with my dear Boro. Sometimes, however, even he is not enough. She is in love with his burrow. I know, and I was Donkey. like, are they going to kill it? Is he going to kill no, it to no, be no. mean to her? But like, she's dancing with it. In like, these old videos, she's dancing with this donkey. Yeah, and like, she gets the affection yeah. she needs from the animals. And like, I'm sure there's, like, maybe there's not footage of this, but she probably had like a team of Komodo dragons who just hung out with her. <laughs> and the tortoises were like, girl, look into our eyes. He's a piece of shit. <laughs> They kept looking at her being like, no, girl. Yeah, don't break eye contact so the little hypnotizing things can start. Don't break eye contact. <laughs> I'm telling you, they were looking at her and then looking back at him and the thought bubble over their heads was, no, bitch. The thought bubble over their heads was, you in danger, girl. <laughs> <laughs> if they're all knowing, they know what movie's going to come out 50 years later. <laughs> you in danger, girl. Dora, get the fuck out of here. Sail on one of us. She's a little, she's skinny. She's a skinny little thing. She can sit on one of those 400 year old tortoises and sail away. The thing is, you guys, she's so starved for human interaction. She says this. Often I feel that I should go mad with joy if any other human being should come into sight. Even a cannibal. 
Even a bloodthirsty buccaneer. Ah! Oh my god, girl! Yeah, and also that to me is like, and she's suicidal. <laughs> like, she just wants to meet somebody. She wants her last memory to be someone talking to her. <laughs> While they're chewing on her foot. Uh-huh. That's how miserable this person is. Oh my god. So now we're starting to learn already that Fred's whole idea of like no human interaction is kind of failing because yeah. every six months to a year, there's like, they call it like post office bay. Right. And there's a ship that comes to deliver and take mail. So some of the letters that, that probably only Dora was writing to Germany. Oh no, he was writing like hate mail about her and right. sending it off. <laughs> it got leaked to the press. People in many countries have read garbled and exaggerated accounts of who we are and what our aims have been in fleeing civilization. I feel as if the things we hold most sacred have been dragged mercilessly through the mire, and that Friedrich and I have been made to look like a pair of eccentrics escaped from some psychological zoo. And, like, you have to imagine this in a 1930s context. Sure. Where it's like, oh, my God, this crazy story of these two, like, kind of beautiful people who moved to an island in the middle of nowhere specifically to not have any contact with anybody. You guys, it blows up. 1930s style goes viral. Right. It's like TMZ in the 30s. Exactly. Exactly. So now we meet John Garth and these sailors. Yeah, these scientists sort of roll into the Galapagos and they decide like while they're there, they've got to go check out this couple they've been reading about in the international press. Right, the modern day Adam and Eve. Exactly. So they're there to study the animals. Girls, I need those notes on the tortoises (laughs) and the Komodo dragons. And please don't take her best friend, the burrow, away. We were shocked to find that contrary to all the lurid reports... The Ritters are actually one of the most clever couples in the world. Dr. Ritter has devised many tools and methods to wrest what they can out of this arid land. We insisted they pay a visit to the Valero, and despite their professed dislike of human society, they eagerly took us up on this invitation. They have this big fancy party for them on the boat. Dora is out of her mind happy. Right. And she gets, she's like emotional watch, like listening to this music. And so Fred's like, this is a good idea to give her, especially and everyone, a lecture about how evil music is <laughs> and how no one should have emotions and how I hate everything. The visit by Captain Hancock and his scientists was well and good. They are like-minded people. But should others turn up intending to disrupt our solitude in a more permanent fashion, we will not be so hospitable. We shall resolutely resist the establishment of any community. So now we're in part two, intruders. So August 1932, this couple, the Whitmers, arrive. Margaret and Heinz Whitmer. Guess where they're from? (laughs) Germany. All I can say, you guys, is Margaret is not into it. I felt terribly alone that day in August 1932 when we first landed on Floriana. Surely no more forlorn and forbidding place could be imagined than this island. My husband, Heinz, and I did not speak. We felt too downhearted. Yet there was no going back. We had invested all our savings on equipment and supplies, and in so doing had burned our bridges. It might be months before another ship put in here, and even if a ship did come, 
We could hardly get back to Germany on the 20 marks we had left between us. They were like bickering before they got there. Right. So this couple get like, can you imagine <laughs> you're going to an isolated island on purpose and you're fighting with the only person you know on the way there? Right. Like they were both super bummed. They like weren't speaking. They had, they didn't have any money. And they, for I don't know how, but they say that they were like, and we burned all our bridges back right. there to leave. It's like, would you pick a fight with everyone you knew and then just peace out to the Galapagos Islands? So here's the thing. They come to this island because their son or his son from another marriage is quote delicate my son harry from my first marriage has always been delicate i realized that the galapagos is our solution you guys you guys i was expecting when we saw a picture of the son that he was going to be wrapped in a boa wearing some heels Mm -hmm. some red lipstick putting on concerts for everybody putting on concert like by delicate they meant that he was just a little too Delicate. Delicate. <laughs> He's a delicate little flower. I was like, moving to the tropics is going to toughen him up. Like, that's what I was imagining. So you can wear a loincloth and be like, ooh, and like right. learn how to drape things. <laughs> Give me a break. But And they said they wanted their son to have a healthy Swiss family Robinson experience. Why does everybody think, you guys, the infrastructure of like the tree houses alone. I was just going to say, what do you think? The tree houses are, are just, just there? there? I know that the tortoises have been spending the last 600 years building tree houses. You know what happened when the uh, when the Whitmers showed up on what? their boat, the tortoises, the tortoises were like, "No, bitch, no, bitch, no, bitch." You in danger, girl. They're like, "We'll keep the little queenie one. The rest of you guys get out of here." Yeah, she'll be our queen, but you guys. Mm. <laughs> and the thing is, you know who's still there? The fucking Komodo dragons and the tortoises. <laughs> I know they're still they're on the still Galapagos there, Islands for sure. So the Whitmers are, of course, now clashing with Fred and Dora. Okay, you guys. Here's the goddamn thing. <laughs> Margaret Whitmer is five months pregnant. I find it shocking that the Whitmers have come to Floriana to take advantage of my skill as a physician. I have made it eminently clear that I do not intend to practice as a doctor and that I refuse to sit around the caves all day attending to Margaret. I am highly resentful and would gladly put all of them on the next boat back to Guayaquil. So he's, first of all, like, there are other people. The right. whole point is that I don't want other people. Then he's like, now I have to deal with this bitch? Like, exactly. he finds it shocking. But it's like, they're both wrong. So what does Fred do? Wanting them as far from us as possible, I took them more than an hour's difficult journey up the hill and showed them some old pirate caves with a nearby spring. My, my thing is also, he's like, I've made it clear. Right. I'm here to be isolated yeah. and I'm not doing anything. But at the same time, I'm like, excuse me, what the fuck are you doing all day long? I know. There's nothing to do. Right. And all the stuff that needs to be done, Dora is doing with her sweet little MS. Right. The poor thing. <laughs> and the Whitmers are like, I can't believe this. I know. I'm also shocked that right now they're the only two people. This is worldwide news. Right. They're the only two idiots who are like, we'll go. Let's go. Find- <laughs> Let's go hang in the Galapagos Islands for a little bit. What could go wrong? That's what this should have been called. The Galapagos Affair. What, what could, could go, go wrong? wrong? October 15th, 1932, the Baroness arrives from Paris by way of Vienna. Today was a day of great excitement. Our first visitors have come. This morning I heard our dog barking, and through the trees I saw a small, slim woman of about 40 riding up on a donkey and carrying a revolver. There were two German men with her, one thin and blonde, and the other dark and swarthy. Both of them appear to be gentlemen in waiting, or perhaps even lovers. What an extraordinary trio. 
You guys, we've got to talk about this Baroness forever. Okay. I mean, she comes with like two houseboys in tow. The description was thin and blonde, dark and swarthy. I was like, yes, please. Yes, please. And they're exactly that. It, and the it two... just gets better the more you look at them. Yeah, the houseboys are exactly that. Yeah. So literally, Margaret is Margaret sees them coming up on a donkey. It's this like lady with a gun and these two queens on her hip. Right. And it's like, Margaret is so excited because she feels like they're going to go to a rave or something. So the Baroness comes on and she's like, this is my island now. I am to build a hotel on the island. Darlings, you know my plans, don't you? I've come to establish a grand hotel. It will be called Hacienda Paradiso. After long and mature analysis, I've come to the conclusion that my project is feasible. After all, woman is capable of everything from the highest to the lowest. Certainly she is greater and more resolved than the male. And here are my team of strapping young men. She's a Kate McKinnon character. Yes. No question. <laughs> I'm pretty much on the Baroness's side from here on out. I mean, 100%. Yeah. And she's like, you know what? She she announces that she and her men are going to set up shop and build this hotel. And I'm like, and like open the cabaret bar, right? right. <laughs> she reminded me of like, again, I don't know why I'm referencing Chicago again, but it, she reminds me of Roxy where Roxy's like, boys, like that's just where she lives in that moment forever. She's just like, fellas. The thing is, she's kind of fabulous looking. Like she, she looks a little bit like Amelia Earhart. There's yeah. all of these, like, there's so much video of her. So, I mean, girl, she she made sure of that. <laughs> but she has got this shit locked down. She knows exactly what's going to happen. And there are all these stories of like, so the blonde guy is more of like a servant. And he, she he like took her shoes off and washed her feet in their drinking water. And oh my like God. Fred is appalled. And, and then she announces that they're just going to live in the Whitmer's Orange Grove. This is our home now. Yeah. Margaret and I gazed at her speechless. She said she wouldn't dream of living anywhere else until her hotel is built. There's a part where it says that the Baroness went to introduce herself to the Ritters, and I just wrote, oh shit. Dora is not excited about it. No, no, no. Without waiting for an invitation, she settled in one of our deck chairs. She then demanded a cup of tea. The Baroness told us of her plan to turn Floriana into a kind of Miami for American millionaires. We are appalled at this profit-making scheme. So what she did, other than have these grand ideas, is that everyone on the island bonded over their hatred slash jealousy of her. And by everyone, you mean the four other people. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> then we get a story of like one of the the like modern people, a great, 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 whatever, uh -huh. who's just like, I don't know, my grandfather was like, I kind of like her. <laughs> the Baroness came down to Post Office Bay. She got to talk with my father, and they had a very friendly relationship. Well, he said she was a pleasant person, and she seemed an educated person, and he had a good impression. It was like, I kind of like her. I think she's fun. <laughs> that would be like me. Totally. I'm like, what's wrong with you guys? She's, she's her. fun. She's harmless. <laughs> she doesn't wear a bra. She's got these two queens on her side. Are you? What's not to like? I mean, come on. You know she brought bottles of wine with her. She's a always, baroness. Always. She doesn't come empty-handed. No, and then we get this other story about this Norwegian from another island who came to their island to, like, hunt, a, you hunt know. beef. Hunt beef. One of them, Christian Stumper, shot a small calf, intending to return with it to Santa Cruz. Upon hearing the shot, the Baroness charged out. Baroness comes traipsing out of the woods with a revolver. She's like, that's my calf, you dicks. Get the fuck out of here. That's my cow. And then she's like, boys. Yeah. Philipson. And Philipson came out, taking up a stand near her. 
both men yielded and fled. They scare the guys off. It's like, who are these two twinks that are like her muscle men? It's just hilarious. But like, wouldn't you want to have her around? She's fun. She has the good booze. She has the fun gay friends. And she scares the guys off. So in December 1932, Margaret gets her first labor pains. And guys, it's not going well. The pains were very violent. Dear God, I prayed, let it all go well. But the day passed, and so did the night. But but in the middle of this, she did find time to make a New Year's Eve cake. (laughs) In the middle. And and write it all down in her diary. I know, I know. I got up, walked around a bit, and baked a New Year's cake before the pains became too agonizing for me to do anything but lay and bite hard into my pillows. So she's screaming so loudly, and the pain is so bad that she almost blacks out. But again, she's writing every word of this down. So I'm not laughing at her pain. It's just absurd. It's, what are you, you guys, doing on that island? What the fuck are you doing? Uh, so like hours and hours later, Dr. Ritter's like, what do I have to do to shut this bitch up? Like deliver her baby? Be a doctor? Oh, fine. So he goes and he does exactly that. Ritter examined me and was now a doctor pure and simple. He washed his hands a dozen times with antiseptic soap. And then he performed the operation. The pain was so cruel I could have screamed my head off. But somehow I managed to bear it in silence. Miraculously, the baby named Rolf arrived uh-huh. pretty unscathed, except for all the, the <laughs> mental and emotional anguish he'll have to suffer for the rest of his life. I will say, cut to modern day Rolf. Rolf is like in his 80s now, and he's in this documentary with his grandson. The only reason I'm mentioning it is because I didn't realize I wrote this until I went back through my notes. I said, here's Rolf with his grandson, and his grandson is fine. Because it's all in Spanish, Who right? says fine is my question. You also said something along those terms like a couple episodes ago. I was like, did you just say like off the chain or whatever it was? I was like, who? are you? That was this episode. <laughs> I did say that. But I look back at it. It's like eight eyes. I'm like, his grandson is fine. <laughs> One, oh, 11 exactly, eyes. Exactly, exactly. So also, baby Rolf is three seconds old and Fred is writing in his diary about how he hopes the upbringing is stern enough to build good character. <laughs> No baby shower, no nothing. <laughs> he Were it not for that hair, there would be nothing redeeming about him. I mean, Jesus. So now the Baroness is doting on Rolf, giving him all these French clothes. Shortly after Rolf's birth, the Baroness came to visit with Philipson and Lorenz. After congratulating me on my son, she presented me with clothes she brought from her Paris boutique, announcing that he must be the most dapper little man on our island. She's like, oh, a baby. Like, she just, like... She wants to throw a party. Girl. I know. <laughs> why wouldn't she want to have her around? I She's know. She's fun. <laughs> I kind of like her. I'd be on your team. Like, what's the harm, What man? is the harm? She brings the gays and the booze. What's the exactly. problem? <laughs> Gotta liven this party up a little bit. Isn't it paradise? Exactly. God. So the scientists are back. We are back with our friends in the Galapagos, having returned on our annual scientific voyage. And this has turned out to be a very unusual day. Coming ashore on Floriana with gifts and supplies for the Ritters, we encountered a strange sign written in what appears to be red lipstick. Friends, whoever you are, two hours from here lies the Hacienda Paradiso, a lovely spot where the weary traveler can rejoice to find refreshing peace and tranquility on his way through life. In Paradiso, you have only one name. Friend. The Hacia Paradiso is this way. 
She's making the hotel. I know. And, but right now, it's like her little compound on the island. So the yeah. island is really big, you guys. So like to go, like they all have, because they all hate each other. Right. So their little compounds are all pretty far away. Right. So hers is like, welcome, just come straight to me. I'm where the party is. <laughs> and red lipstick, girl. I, I love it. I think it's the one time the tortoises looked up, read the sign, and they went, yes, bitch. Yes, bitch. Yes. <laughs> In the late afternoon, we made the mistake of bringing all three of the island's groups aboard the Valero at the same time. So they throw a party on their boat. You guys, it is it turns into like the real housewives of Galapagos <laughs> because they're all on the boat. Like everyone who hates each other is on a boat. And you know that's when all the the fights happen. Someone's totally. throwing a glass of wine overboard and you're like, save the wine. And it's a whole that's what everyone wants to say, like, I didn't like that thing you said. It's they are the housewives of the Galapagos. Dora immediately spoiled things by mincing no words and telling the Baroness what she thought of her. For a few minutes, I feared trouble. Until we averted this by keeping the parties separate for the rest of the day. Dora, this is not the kind of human interaction you want, but you have been through a lot I and know. you have MS, so I feel bad, but it's peak housewives and I'm like super here for it. And the zoologists are just like, we just want to tell you this cool shit about the like mind reading tortoises, exactly. but if you guys don't want to hear about that, you all go to your separate corners and enough. But one great idea is born of this party. The captain of the ship apparently is a jack of all trades. Yeah. And wants to make a movie with the Baroness. Called the Empress of Floriana. You guys, he wants to make a movie with her. And guess what they do? <laughs> and you guys, we have the movie. January 1934, <laughs> quiet on set. <laughs> This is the actual movie. We're watching the movie. Right. So Captain Hancock shows up with like all of the zoologists who are now the film crew and they actually start filming. So I'm going to look. If you think I didn't write out all of the, the cards in that silent movie, you're I sadly just, mistaken. Before we get to it, I yeah. want to point out like the youngest zoologist is this like young boy that they convinced to play a woman right. in this movie. So here's what's happening. The Baroness is going to play a sexy pirate. <laughs> all the dudes from the boat are the filmmakers. The, one of the zoologists is playing a woman. And then there's this other zoologist who's playing like her love affair. Yeah, basically. Exactly. So it starts. On the shores of a desert island, a honeymooning couple find themselves shipwrecked and stranded. So it's the zoologist playing a wife and another zoologist playing the husband. No, it's 1930, you guys. They totally share a kiss. Yeah. These two men kiss on, on film. And it's the worst wig. The wig is falling off him. It's so obvious he's a man. <laughs> totally, totally. Playing the wife, which is amazing. Yeah. And I just love it. Then it goes, the brave new husband sets off in search of water. Then it says, the island's only inhabitants, a fierce pirateess and her handsome swain. So it's the baroness. <laughs> and one of her queens. And one of her queens. So then we see them fighting. And the card comes up and says, theirs is not a happy household. Girl, <laughs> we get it. And, she, and then it says, the Empress discovers an intruder on her island. Baroness pulls out a gun. And an axe. <laughs> she has both. The card says, growing impatient, the pirateess takes matters into her own hands. <laughs> this is when it gets like, is this a porn? So the husband is begging her for water. Yeah. And he follows her into the house. And she goes, not yet, my handsome. Nothing is free on my island. Water soon. But first, you must do something for me. <laughs> Is this not a porn? She, like, gives the gun to the other guy and, and, like, makes him shoot the husband. Right. And it's like, and so the island of love has claimed another soul. Right. <laughs> Finn. 
So now we're at part three, the drought. Mm-hmm. And we learned that like this island, what's it called? Florenia? Yeah, sure. F- whatever. This island where they live is like super prone to droughts. Heat such as we have never known scorches every living thing. We measure 120 degrees in the shade. The spring, our source of life, has become a thin trickle of water, wearily crawling out of its dry bed. So what, what's happening here is that, like, everyone's going a little bit crazy on the island. We find out that Lorenz, the little blonde twink of the Baroness, is getting beaten every day at the Hacienda Paradiso. It, look, and the thing is, everyone is kind of an unreliable narrator here. Yes, Because totally. we are only hearing from their diaries. And yeah. everyone's diary has a completely, like, they're at 100, but on a different end of the spectrum. <laughs> right. So sometimes people are like, this is amazing. This is horrible. This is this. So yeah. we don't really know what's real and what's not. That's true. But so he... He basically moves in. Lorenz moves in with the Whitmers. Mm -hmm. And now the Baroness comes to our gate each day calling out for him. Time and again, Lorenz is enticed by her and disappears to the Hacienda. Hours later, he returns and sits at our table crying. So then we catch Adora and Fritz. You know, the one with MS and the and the wacky husband. They're like on their porch and in the middle of the afternoon they hear this like blood-curdling scream. Right. According to Dora's diary. Friedrich and I were resting in the stillness of the intense heat when all at once a long shriek gashed the silence. It was an outcry of such panic and terror that it was hardly human. And yet it was a woman's voice. It froze the marrow in our bones. We expected to hear footsteps rushing down the path toward us, but no one came. And I said, perhaps the drought is playing havoc with our nerves. And then sort of like right on cue, Margaret Whitmer, who had the baby, shows up with Lorenz, one of the little houseboys of the Baroness. Yeah. And she told us the strangest story. It sounded almost to have been rehearsed. And the story is weird. Like, the story is that the Baroness came looking for Lorenz. And when Margaret said he wasn't home, she was like, well, you just tell him that we're going off to Tahiti. To Tahiti and he's to watch over things until we send for him or come back. As Margaret Wittmer ended her story, Lorenz assumed an oddly matter-of-fact voice and coolly asked us if we would buy some of the Baroness's things from him. He says she left him no money and he is burning to get off the island. Yeah, and, and then Lawrence is like, so that's my story. If you want to buy anything of hers, it's totally for sale. <laughs> and there are these things about how, like, all of her, like, prized possessions are just there. And she would never have left with any of that. It I becomes- barely know her. I know her well enough <laughs> to know that she's not going to leave without, like, her little compact yeah. and her powder and it her perfume. It becomes clear pretty quickly to all of us that, like, there's been some foul play here. Absolutely. And so it, it's also clear to Dora and Fred. And they're kind of like, we know that something is not right, but we can't talk about it or else we'll be next. So now we get this montage of like, everyone's a suspect. Everyone had the motive to kill her, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But cut to April 21st. It finally rains. The drought's done. And Lawrence is like, this is a good time. I'm just going to get the hell out of Dodge. A man named Nugerut. Nugerut has agreed to take Lorenz as far as Santa Cruz, where he'll be able to catch the ship for Guayaquil. 
there's this crazy story where he's on a boat back to like the big island, sees another boat, and convinces the captain of the boat that he's on basically to like chase that other boat out to sea. To get on it? Yeah. Put a pin in this, you guys. We'll be back to it in a minute. So now we're back on the island, and Dora and Fred are feeling really like they know something's really weird about the Baroness being gone. Right. But they don't want to, they can't like say too much, or else like they're afraid that they'll be next. And they also still have to eat, you know? Yeah. And like food, everything is scarce. It's not going well. They had all these chickens that they they put in jars or whatever. Basically what happens, idiot Fred, yeah. who thinks he's the smartest guy on the planet, decides to like, if he boils rancid chicken, right. it's probably going to boil all the rancidness out of it. Right. Allegedly. Yeah. Right. According to Dora, this is what happened. So basically, according to Dora, he gives himself salmonella. He gets really sick. Right. A few hours later, Friedrich lay down, complaining of feeling rather ill. Soon, nausea set in and agonizing pains. The whole of that night was spent trying to stem the tide of poison which was overwhelming his body. So he's super sick, super sick. Like, Dora finally goes and gets Margaret. She comes back. She's like, they're with him over the night. And Dora tells this story that Fred, like, wakes up out of his sickness, reaches for her. Uh All trace of pain and torment had vanished from his face, which was transfigured with a look so lucid, so triumphant, so calm, so tender, that I could only gaze and gaze upon him like one who sees a miracle. But then he fell back on the pillows, and before I was able to utter a sound, he was gone. That's Dora's story. <laughs> Let's rewind and go rewind, wind, wind, wind. Thank you. Um, now Margaret's story, you Margaret guys. Whitmer's story, is that yeah, he was sick. Yeah. Every sick, 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 sick. Margaret is telling the story about how, like, yeah. Dora came to get us. It took her a really long time. A little too long. <laughs> also, she had the chicken too, supposedly, but she yeah, wasn't she sick. she looked fine. And like, we just heard the story about like Fred reaching wistfully for her and then dying peacefully. And Margaret's telling... Then he made an immense effort, felt for the pencil and paper by his bed, and wrote his last sentence. I curse you with my dying breath. With that, he looked up at Dora, his eyes gleaming with hate. He struggled against a shot of morphine that Dora gave him and repelled with blows and kicks every effort she made to touch him. Hours went by like this until he at last collapsed on his pillows and was gone. I curse you with my dying breath. Yeah. So the truth is somewhere in the middle. But in my notes, I have I do not care. At this point, we still don't know what happened to the Baroness. We'll, well never, we'll never hear from her again <laughs> no. in this documentary, or or like the world won't. Yeah, she nobody just disappears ever hears. with the other houseboy. But remember, Lorenz, the the blonde twink that, that was getting beat and like escaped allegedly. Into the night? Yes, they find the decomposing corpses of Lorenz and the and the boat pilot on this like deserted island, sixty miles north of where everybody is. Right. The footage is insane. They are just showing close ups of these it's rotting horrible. corpses. A little warning. I know. I know. I mean, these decomposing 
are pouring the shit out of us for an hour and 58 minutes. And then at the end, we have to stare at these decomposing dead bodies on the beach. I know. We don't know if Dora killed her husband or not. We don't really know who's telling the truth there. We never get any answers. She peaced out, wrote a book, and then like never talked about this again. The Whitmers stay? Yeah, the Whitmers stay. And they're like, they open a hotel on the island. And the hotel is still in operation. Uh And it's run by one of their kids. Yeah. And Margaret, the pregnant one that had the baby in the cave. Remember like that horrible labor story? Yeah, yeah. She lived until the ripe old age of 95, died in the year 2000. Yeah. And she, they have this great quote in the very end. Oh, this is excellent. So Dora wrote a book about her experience. Mm -hmm. Margaret wrote another book many years later about her experience. And then after that book came out, decided she would never talk about the Galapagos affair again. Because. The quote, so the filmmakers met her in 1999 or whatever. Yeah. And she said she wouldn't talk about it because a closed mouth admits no flies. Ooh. <laughs> I have chills right now, for real. You can see them. It's like, it's a great, like, did she intend to misquote that? I know. And if she did, ooh, tea scalding hot. <laughs> ooh, whew. Oh, girl, we did it. Oh, thank God. We did it. Um, you guys, don't forget at the very, very end of this episode, check out a little piece of our interview with Diane Fanning. Ooh, yeah. The tea is scalding hot. Speaking of. About Michael God. Peterson. Did he do it? She thinks he did. I mean, she, <laughs> according to her, knows he did. Um, just a couple reminders to check out our Patreon. It's, you know, there's just so much content oh, there. so much, guys. We love you so much. Love Thank you so much. much for supporting us and helping us do this thing for real. That we love to we do. We love it. Uh, check out, if you want information about our tour, go to our the CS Live page on our website. Uh, tickets will be for sale soon. And the website is truecrimeobsessed.com. And while you're there, check out the promo codes page. Girl, where can they find where can they find us other than the website? Well, we are at True Crime Obsessed, no ED, on the Twitter, and True Crime Obsessed Podcast on the Instagram. And join the Facebook group, you guys. You Get guys, in the Facebook group. I can't handle it. Girl, where can they find you? I'm at Jillian with a G on all the things. Uh, I'm at Patrick Hines on the Twitter, at Patrick Hines underscore on the Instagram. Okay, before we tell the people what we're doing next, you guys, yeah. our calendar is back up. It's updated through October, and mm. we are now getting into, like, the spooky Halloween-y documentaries. You know, it's kind of where I live. <laughs> it's all of the awesome, like ghosty, scary Halloween documentaries. Yeah. So next week is it's called The Devil and Father Amroth. So this is by the director of The Exorcist. Yeah. And it's not about The Exorcist. It's about the director actually meeting a guy who performed a for real exorcist. <laughs> and, uh, exorcism, I mean. Yeah. And all of the crazy, crazy bonkers shit that goes on with exorcisms. Oh, God. Stay tuned for the preview for The Devil and Father Amroth. <laughs> And then our hilarious outtakes, TM, TM, TM. Um, The palate cleanser this week is going to be from Mamma Mia, because it's Tropical Island themed. And then after the palate cleanser, stay tuned for the little piece of our interview with Diane Fanning. At the time I directed the film, The Exorcist, I had never seen the real thing. But on May 1st, 2016, Father Gabriella Amort, the Vatican exorcist, invited me to witness an actual exorcism. I had no idea what to expect. The more you open yourself to thinking about this stuff, and you start feeling about this stuff, the more room you allow for the supernatural power of evil to come in. If we don't understand it, that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. There's a dimension to this world that is strange and beyond our capacity to control. Can I know how to treat it? No. 
So something is happening to her, it's clear. But maybe she puts into it the religious context in which she grew up. Because they believe, obviously, they know what's wrong with her. She's possessed by the devil. I think that's a very dangerous thing, getting in close quarters with the devil. People like Father Amorth maybe could do that. I would never dare to do it. This is not fiction. It's different from all the movies. And I was there to film it. Oh, I almost forgot. Oh, I was thinking finally. about. <laughs> I was thinking about how ridiculous it is that we're in my dining room, surrounded by mattresses and pillows. I love it. <laughs> There's really no place else I'd rather we be. We need a sound barriers, you guys. The bell. Which one's the bell? The garbage bell. Uh, it's right behind you. Which one is the bell? I just said. Yeah, I am the bell of the ball. <laughs> So Dora writes, or Kate Blanchett tells us, that like she basically thought the kid was going to make them all happy. And I'm like, Dora, you can't save your marriage with a kid, and you can't save like an evil island with a baby. <laughs> like, you can't. That's just right. not how it That's works. That's not how it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we see footage of four-year-old Rolf, like a toddler, chopping tall grass with a machete. <laughs> what the fuck? Daisy's not going to get her machete until she is five. And I'm just like, I'm like, every, any second he's going to pick it up the wrong way. I know, I know, I know, I he's know. Four. <laughs> oh god what are we doing if we're not bathing and you're drinking water you know what i mean i mean Kathleen was killed, her boss was fired, and that made her situation very precarious. So she was a little tense. And when she discovered the secret life that Michael was leading, it was just too much. And I think she went off on him that night. And that threat of exposing him or leaving him was more than he could bear, and he lashed out. 
Now, so you're speaking sort of like in definite terms. Do we do we know for sure that 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 she became aware of his bisexuality and confronted him that night, or is that sort of just like our our very best guess? Best guess because normally she never touched Michael's computer. But she had a big business trip in Toronto the next day, and she'd left her laptop in the office, and she needed to get on the computer to communicate with people about that meeting. And that's where all of Michael's uh, pornographic material was. That's where his communications were with um, the male escort. And... So it it's only logical that she went on there and saw some of that. Nothing else makes sense. It doesn't make sense for Michael to attack her. It doesn't make sense for her to be dead. And do we think of Kathleen as the kind of, like, do we have evidence that she's the kind of person who would have... Um threatened him with exposure or that she would have reacted so strongly that it would have produced such a strong reaction in him? Yes. Kathleen was married once before and her husband had an affair with a woman. And when she found out about that affair, she left him. She could not, could not tolerate infidelity. The fact that uh, Michael was being was being dishonest about the relationship with a man was irrelevant. The fact uh-huh. that mattered was that he was not being true to his vows, and she would not have been able to tolerate that. Now, her son, or or Michael's son, Todd, talks a lot about Kathleen being like a weekend alcoholic, and I'm wondering if you think that that's true, and if if her like if you think what you know of her level of intoxication that night and his, and how that may have played a factor. You know, I do not think that she was a weekend alcoholic. I do think that with the stress she was having at work, which was pretty overwhelming, that yes, she was probably drinking a little bit more than she normally did. But, you know, it was a weekend. It was the holiday season. She was sitting out by the pool having wine with her husband. I mean, who doesn't do that? It's right. it's like something that, um, you know, lots of people do on the weekends, and that doesn't make them alcoholics. And, and so, wasn't, wasn't her blood alcohol content not as high as some people would make it out to be? Yes. Um, the... The the alcoholic level in her body is only, after you're dead, it's only an estimate because there's changes that happen in your body okay. that affect that reading. So, um, I, you know, I don't think she was by any stretch of the imagination drunk. Maybe she shouldn't be driving with what she had been drinking, but she wasn't. She was staying home. To hear the rest of our interview with investigative author Diane Fanning, including her assertion that Michael did kill Kathleen, how he killed her, why, and how his son Todd helped him cover it up, head over to our website and click the Patreon link, or go to patreon.com slash truecrimeobsessed. 